You're listening to the Learning While Working podcast from Sprout Labs. Sprout Labs builds digital learning platforms that enable enterprises to author, deliver and measure high-impact digital learning ecosystems. Hi, it's Robin here, the host of the Learning While Working podcast and the founder of Sprout Labs. In the last podcast, I forgot to say, and regular listeners would have noticed the change to the introduction, Business has evolved over time and Sprout Labs is now focusing on digital learning platforms. I've also personally started a digital consulting business called Learned. Today I'm actually talking with Jeevan Joshi, one of the other partners in Learned, about content curation. This is a nice follow-on from the conversation previously with Stephen Walsh, where Stephen talked about content curation as streams of learning. The interview starts by talking about the importance of content curation at the moment. One of my real concerns about content curation is it's just about content. Learning's a process. It's not just about reading. Jeevan has a really nice way of thinking about content curation in the learning process as being about knowledge and awareness and possibly about the idea of using it for retention after an active learning event as well. Also, during the conversation, Jeevan talks about how he's actually curating business podcasts at the moment and the type of commentary he's putting around that and how that helps to shape the experience for the people who are engaging with his content. The podcast finishes with some great advice from Jeevan about getting started in content curation. Jeevan, thank you for joining me on the Learning Way Working podcast. Always a pleasure, Robin. Uh, we've been you know, talking to each other for such a long time, um, so looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, it's sort of really interesting. We do so much together, but it's sort of different to have a more formal conversation about some of the things we do. So, Jeevan, you you are a passionate advocate of content curation as a learning strategy. Why do you think it's such a powerful approach? Robin, I wouldn't uh, necessarily term myself as being passionate about content curation. I just think it's really practical. And it's, um, you know, such an effective method to essentially collect information so that you can learn more. So I think it's more about let's get sensible and uh, let's do a lot more lot more content curation than we are doing now as part of the learning mix and essentially not uh, try and reinvent the wheel by developing new courses, but just reusing information as, as much as we can. So, you know, I think it's behind that thinking really is kind of it's more efficient. It's not reinventing the wheel. It also reduces the costs of uh, delivering learning because you're using content that's been produced by somebody else. But I think uh, it also needs to be kind of done right. Otherwise, if it is done without too much thought and uh, without a proper framework, uh, it can be counterproductive in the way that it plays out. Yeah. So I actually had someone during a webinar just sat there and went, actually, most content curation approaches are just lists of links. They're boring, uninteresting, and actually really harder for employees to actually engage with. When you mean done right, what does that look like, Jeevan? So uh, in terms of uh, done right is you kind of need to take learner-centric view of what content learners would like to get, right? So as we know that, it is got to be relevant to their job or the projects they are working on, uh, the skills that they require, but also it should be filtered out to the extent that you don't overwhelm with you know, content that is too difficult to sift to. So you kind of need to be sifted by somebody or something uh, that understands what is not only relevant but important for the learner at that point in time and that kind of you know kind of also ties into the personalization aspect of of learning so that 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 certainly is one um secondly is not 
revisiting the purpose of the content curation. So let us say that you just set up a content curation feed. I think it's it's very wise to kind of revisit because it's very possible that the objectives of uh, why the content was curated in the first place may have changed. So it kind of needs to be a living approach. Right? It needs to be constantly, you know, revisited. And I think I think uh, you know, lastly, uh, would be no, not involving, you know. Things or people, and I say things because uh, there are this kind of machine curation or curation done by computers and algorithms, and then there is also the human factor, right? So the, these two factors I consider are part of any essential curation at this point in time. Uh, you know, in, in another, I don't know, 10 years, the artificial intelligence algorithm machine learning may be more effective than humans to curate it better than humans, but at this point in time, certainly the human curation point is required. So it's... Um, you know, a bit of both. And sometimes uh, we make the mistake of just relying on machine curation or algorithm curation. Uh, and there's no real value add or the commentary that a human has to, you know, why that piece of content is valuable for someone. So it's it's also that uh, human curation piece. Yeah, I'm just about sick of people calling recommendation engines um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. They might use those techniques, but it's just sort of a really basic odd thing a lot in that Jevon. so essentially i mean in some ways you're thinking about the content people need from that learner-centered point of view which starts to build a framework for sort of what people are doing and what they need for their jobs now and into the future the commentary bit's really interesting yeah i mean that's really valuable i've got um you know, I've been curating podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So every week I bring out my own recommendation of five business podcasts for the week. So yeah, I kind of go through probably about 30 podcasts during the week and pick the five best ones. And then those are the five that I found most valuable. And in recommending those five podcasts, I give my own commentary on um, why I found that podcast interesting, you know, almost like write an editorial on it, a short one. Also, give it a star rating. Uh, finally, I also identify uh, vital information like who will the podcast be relevant to uh, and how much time is required, but also supporting information about uh, you know the podcast page. So it's almost like I justify why I recommended that piece. And I only recommend five pieces of uh, per week. And even though I'd like to include more, the reality is that I'm forced to pick five, which um, you know really kind of requires a little bit of thinking as to the content that's there for the week, plus what is topical, plus uh, what might be of interest to the learner so that there is a wider readership. Going through 30 podcasts a week, Jeevan, is a pretty amazing feat in itself. I think I'm listening to about five at the most, let alone going through 30. So, I mean, that's also that part of that, what you're talking about, the role of a curator, is to actually just, first of all, process a lot of things and before they, as part of that choosing process. Yeah, absolutely, Robin. I think I think uh, if we were to say it'll probably 35 because I listened to the podcast that I've selected another time. So, you know, I can't repeat, uh, listen to it. Um, so that's, you know, they come with 35 and, uh, you know, you can't escape it. You kind of need to really listen to it uh, thoroughly. Yeah, it's actually the a metaphor... Adam, you actually listen to the podcast, but it's um, just going to acknowledge this. It actually comes from someone else, not from me, but in his, in his organization, they are doing a lot of um, content curation and constantly looking for ways to get better engagement. And they found that the commentary was really important. And he had this nice metaphor that the commentary was like a sports commentator. And it's actually what you've talked about was really nice because he had this idea that there should almost be someone calling the score 
doing the ratings. Someone who's a little bit more laid back gives a little bit more of a longer description. And then someone that's talking about it from the point of view of the player, which is actually the audience thing with you. It's actually interesting to see the two frameworks actually almost align in different ways. And, you know, I think I think that's correct because I think uh, the people who are reading your recommendations, really, some of them may have the time to go through the entire recommendation and, and the logic behind it. Uh, some of them might choose just to um, use my star rating and decide that, you know, the four star rating are the ones they want to listen to. So I think it's kind of just giving different levels of information uh, depending upon what, uh, you know, how much uh, detail people want to go into. Yeah. You should, let's just keep on exploring this as an example because the other nice thing about it is you're not building a library or a repository. You're actually building a flow, a bit like what um, was in the last content curation um, podcast talked to Stephen Walsh about. But this is a sort of very different, very personalized flow. Yeah, look, and then I think that personalization or the, you know, the fact that, um, and this is pretty much the only thing that I've branded as Jeevan's, um, you know, podcast because uh, I, I want to be identified with that podcast and I want people to know that, you know, I have put, uh, you know, I'm personally responsible for those recommendations. And if they turned out to be not as good, it's my responsibility, right? And the second thing is that because I'm, I'm constantly aware that um, even though I listen to about 30 podcasts per week, there's lots more and I can't cover all, right? So um, that's one. So it's kind of a selection of the ones um, that I've identified are quality podcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, secondly, um, I'm also, you know, very much uh, have my own personal biases, right? So I'm not, I'm not perfect, you know, so my own recommendations come from my, you know, personal values or my personal interests. It's got to be taken with um, that in mind that it's very much a personal recommendation. I try to be objective uh, as much as I can, but uh, as we're all aware that nobody can be 100% objective. Yeah. In a couple of content curation projects, people have talked about the fact that the actual curators are the people who are actually sometimes doing really deep learning in terms of having to sift through everything. Is that what you're finding with the podcast? Yes. So I guess it also depends on the type of podcast, right? So the, the podcasts that I listen to and I recommend, you know, usually are at least, you know, 15 minutes and can go up to one and a half hours. I'll make it clear up front saying that, you know, for example, if it's a one and a half hour podcast, you need to spend that much time, but you'll be rewarded for your patience. So certainly the part, you know, my own personal preferences is to go into podcasts that deep dive right into whatever topic is being discussed by people who have spent a lot of time thinking about those topics. So what you get is kind of a double edge advantage. Number one is that you get all these uh, insights distilled in you know 30 minutes or one hour podcast and by listening to that the second advantage is that you actually um, also learn a lot right so um, we know that there are lots of um, articles on LinkedIn etc pretty superficial uh, you know the five best things of doing this and doing that the reality is that life is much more complex work is much more complex than that and for those who really want to get deep insights you really need to spend some time uh, you know doing a deep dive into those themes so I do select those kind of podcasts yeah so this is also, you've got this sort of viewpoint that you're coming from. In an organization, a content curator probably needs to come from a different type of viewpoint. What do you sort of think, think about the role of a curator in an, in an L&D team? Yes, so I think, um, I think the first thing is I'm not 100% sure that uh, L&D people are best suited for, um, for the role of content curators, right? Um, I think... Um, 
somebody from the journalism profession might be better suited. So I do see the trend of uh, you know LMD people or professionals becoming content curators. But I think there's there's you know the source for content curators skills that can be integrated into the you know the L&D team, right? So I think that's uh, you know point uh, you know number one. And apart from the fact that you require curation skills, which are you know very specific in terms of uh, summarizing and you know giving your insights, I think a knowledge of the of the subject helps a lot, right? Um, so it helps in selecting the best pieces of content and then also making a commentary on that, right? So I think you also require a um, level of um, knowledge about about what you're commenting on. So I'd love to see subject matter experts involved in at least a selection uh, and even a short commentary, um, even if the uh, helping the L&D person do that. So maybe a combination of L&D people who are, who are essentially good at um, structuring the content into pieces that can be learned easily, plus a journalist who can editorialize, plus a subject matter expert who can select the best content. But of course, you know, the, it's, a, it's a pretty complex relationship of three people being involved, but I think that probably works best. Yeah, actually just re- reminding me, I've been doing a whole thread about what can L&D learn from marketing, but there's pro- probably another thread that's really interesting about what L&D can learn from journalism. And journalism and information management is a really, and the information processing has really changed in the last few years as well. So interesting thing, Jeevan, uh, with this, almost what you're talking about, and it's interesting we've ended up talking about journalism, which is very much about content. It's about static content, and that L&D people possibly are okay at sequencing it. But there's another layer to learning, which is actually the process, the behavioural change bit. This is my sort of bit of concern around content curation, and I've actually seen in content curation projects as well, where essentially the repository's been built and then people need guidance about, well, what do we do with the, with this? What's your thoughts about that sort of, is it just content or how does the learning process and the reflective process for employees work with a process? Look, that's a good question and probably should have mentioned up front. I don't, I don't think learning content curation is the solution for all kinds of learning. It is specifically effective in raising knowledge, awareness, uh, you know, insights into a particular topic. Um, I think behavioral changes are probably best left to, you know, classroom workshops where, you you know, you've got more time to do that. So it's kind of a layered approach to where content curation can be used. So I certainly think it can be more uh, in terms of providing the information to raise the skills and awareness, sorry, raise awareness and knowledge about a particular topic, which then can flow on to the other forms of, of learning, right? So yeah, I think it'll be difficult to achieve behavioral change through, you know, for example, through content uh, that's that's curated. Yeah, so this is a leadership development program or that was based on a content curation pr- approach purely would probably be a failure. Oh, for for sure. I mean, that's that's kind of got failure written all over it. So, and even the content uh, curation bit that's uh, you know hopefully a part of the whole blended learning solution, that also kind of especially for leadership needs to be designed very carefully. So, based on business requirements. Um, so yeah, I think I think content curation is just part of the tool set. Uh, it can be a very powerful and scalable part of the tool set, uh, but it's got appropriate use cases and needs to be, like we mentioned, discussed, you know, needs to be um, done with um, with a lot of thought and design. Yeah, I think this notion that it's about that sort of raising awareness of new, possibly new ideas and, and knowledge as part of the, that's the first change stage of behavioral change to spark an idea, but probably also to sustain 
change as well. It's a really, really interesting one. So someone might actually have a um, start to work in an area or work in a different behavioral behavioral pattern, but then use use content to reconnect with the reasons why they need to make those changes. Oh, look, absolutely. You know, for reinforcement, you know, you kind of need proof that what you're doing is going the positive direction or other people are doing it. So, you know, once you've kind of gone through a workshop for behavioral change, uh, you could embed and support that behavioral change by curating content that's relevant to, you know, that particular behavioral change. So certainly it can be, you know, used used for that. Yeah. Okay. So, Jeevan, what's your really big gems of wisdom for a, a L&D team that's thinking about starting with content curation approaches? I think uh, first one is to really understand what content curation is. So a lot of people mistake content aggregation as content curation, but um, aggregation is just part, the first step of content curation. So, uh, you know, once you kind of aggregate the content uh, by you know using keywords, etc., um, you then you know apply some kind of logic, and hopefully it's uh, you know algorithms plus uh, you know some human filtering to kind of pick the best content from that which is relevant. And I'll come to the relevance a little bit later. But once you've done that, then contextualize that piece of content that you've picked up to how it relates to employees in your organization or the current work situation you know they are in. And then you've got the kind of the fourth step, which is you know share in the appropriate channels, right? Again, so you kind of need to almost identify a channel plan for what curated content goes through what channels there are you know so some channels are better suited than others so you kind of don't blast the curated content in all channels you know you kind of need to be specific for example it could be an rss feed or an update on the lms etc or or a newsletter that comes out you know every month so that's one uh, number two is understanding the business needs which will help you identify really what pieces of content are valuable for the organization and the employees. So that that I think is the first step to do a fairly detailed analysis and refresh that you know frequently so that you've got that filter for content curation extremely efficient. You know, and, and uh, I guess uh, you know thirdly is that merge the curated content into your knowledge management system. So you've put a lot of effort into curating and commenting, and if somehow that could be available on a on some kind of a knowledge management platform, whether it's the LMS or the intranet, so that people can, you know, go back and uh, look through that information. Because you know, let us be honest, in in business and in learning, for example, things the basic fundamentals don't change that much, right? So that that would be still you know very very relevant. And uh, I think those are the kind of the three things I'd uh, recommend people to do. That's a great gems of wisdom, uh, Jeevan, and um, lots of dense and lots of great ideas there. Look, maybe a nice spot to finish on, actually. Um, and thank you so much for joining me on the Learning Way Working Podcast. Thank you very much, Robin. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Learning While Working podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a review. If you want to find out more about Sprout Labs, go to sproutlabs.com.au. We regularly run webinars and publish ebooks and guides about learning while working.